Hello and welcome to Historia Podcast with me, Jack Pettit, and our resident historian, Paul Fletcher. This is our Cold War Origins series, and we're now on episode 11. Episode 11. This is going to be about an overview of the origins of the Cold War from 1945 to 1958. Now, we've done 10 episodes so far, so what we think we'll do is we'll mix it up and uh, we're going to give... um, or Fletch rather is going to give uh, an overview as best as he can of those key areas and key dates that we see um, starting, developing and worsening the Cold War. Fletch. Jack. Here we go. Here we go. So let's split this in two halves. Um, Let's start with Yalta 1945 because Yalta is seen in a way the high point of the Grand Alliance in terms of cooperation between the big three. Uh, And let's go up to and including the Berlin blockade and airlift because um, it seems at this point, uh, war seems quite possible between the East and the West. Right, so big question, effectively, why did the Cold War begin? Um, Well, I think that you are right to say that Yalta, February 1945, on the surface was the high water mark of the uh, of the Grand Alliance and cooperation during World War II. But in many ways, that actually was a false picture because Yalta did, worked because they still needed to defeat both Germany and, and Japan. And what they were able to do at Yalta was that they were able to kick certain issues down the road and then have to face them after the war after the war uh, had ended um i think really if we're going to understand why the cold war began we just have to accept something i said a long long time ago which is that you have two different sides that are fundamentally incompatible okay you have the soviet union which because of the ending of the war with the red army having liberated in inverted commas uh, eastern europe controlling Eastern Europe. You have the Americans and the British, backed by the Canadians in particular. They had liberated Western Europe and Western Germany. Uh, and the, both sides, particularly both superpowers, the, uh, the Americans uh, supported particularly by the British and the Soviets, they've got fundamentally different ideologies. They've got fundamentally different um, outlooks. They've got fund and they are contradictory and competing. They've got fundamentally different interests for a lot of the time. And so therefore, the Cold War is caused by the fact that the Grand Alliance is, I think a phrase you used in a previous podcast, was a blip. It was it was an anomaly. It wasn't typical. What was typical was the Soviet Union being the enemy of Britain and America. What was typical was the fact that Britain and America had tried to defeat the Soviet Union and tried to strangle it at birth uh, during the Civil War, the Russian Civil War um, in the early 1920s. That was typical. The hostility between them was typical. So we have to bear that in mind. The Cold War is really normality coming back into play. So I think what we also have to see in terms of the um, in terms of the uh, development of the Cold War, the start of the Cold War, is that essentially, although it's not completely true, it isn't completely true because obviously other things are in, were important, 
but we should see the Cold War being primarily focused on Europe between 1945 and 1949 with the end of the blockade. Um, and so I would like to identify uh, three themes that run through that. So one is the theme of Germany and Berlin. What's going to happen to Berlin? What's going to happen to Germany? The second theme was uh, the theme of Eastern Europe. And then the third theme, which is clearly not geographically linked to just, uh, Western, uh, to just Europe, is, of course, the arms race. And what if you look at particularly the first two, uh, the future of Eastern Europe and the future of Germany, what you get there is you get um, basically contrasting and contradictory and conflicting uh, objectives. And therefore, what happened to the Grand Alliance is that the Grand Alliance fell apart because the two sides wanted different things. So as we've talked before, in Eastern Europe, you've got the whole question about, on the one hand, Stalin wanted... Um, security, he wanted a buffer zone, he wanted for the Soviet Union not to be attacked for a third time in the 20th century, uh, whereas the Americans in particular, the British as well, they wanted free and fair elections, they wanted independent sovereign states, um, which of course the, uh, the, the, the Soviet Union couldn't accept because those independent sovereign states would probably be hostile to the Soviet Union and Stalin wasn't going to have that again. Okay, so that's one issue, and you'll see that cropping up. And as slowly as time goes on, certainly by 1947, Stalin had imposed um, control, full control over pretty well all of the Eastern Bloc. Process was completed in February 48 with the uh, Czech coup, um, and for Stalin that was quite reasonable. That was that was okay because he was making sure that these countries were what he wanted and needed them to be, which was friendly satellite states. Of course, to the West, this was merely just another example of the fact that communists were aggressive, expansionist. You couldn't trust them. They wouldn't keep their promises. And if you didn't stand up to them, then clearly they would be trying to export communism throughout Western Europe and maybe also further afield as well. So that's one area. The second area is the future of Germany. Again, falling out. Um, over the divisions of uh, what's what's going to happen to to Germany, what's happened with its reparations, free and fair elections in forty six, and that, um, those are sticking points, aren't they? At Yalta and at Potsdam, they are. They are. I mean, you get a, you get a you get a an agreement that you know that uh, Berlin and Germany will be divided into four. So the sort of how it's going to be organised, but then the issues of actually how do you make it work? That's the problem. So say you've got reparations. You get uh, the question of free and fair elections in '46. Um, you get well, you know, the the the, the Western powers uh, then decide to uh, treat and and look for Germany of their Western areas to be um, to be, if you like, reconstructed and to be uh, economically developed because for a whole variety of selfish reasons and also what they would see as uh, the correct reasons, whereas the Soviet Union, does, that's the last thing that Stalin wanted. He did not want a strong Germany in any way, shape or form. He wanted to keep Germany very weak. Uh, and so therefore what he saw is that American and British policy, the formation of Trizonia, the formation of uh, the, the creation of a new currency, he saw these as being essentially anti-Russian, anti-Soviet. Um, and of course, his reaction, 
in terms of the Berlin blockade to try to make the Americans and the British actually sort of react and listen. In, in other words, to wave the big stick in some way to make them listen. Of course, what that came across was that came across as being uh, aggressive and expansionist and undemocratic. And of course, that therefore reinforced the image of, of uh, about Russia and you couldn't trust them and you had to stand up to them, which of course explains the, why we therefore get um, you know, a military alliance being formed. So you've got that. And of course, the third thing is you've got the whole idea of the arms race. Now, the period 1945 to 1949 uh, essentially is one of a nuclear monopoly. Only the Americans have that uh, weapon. But even that is a uh, disaster as far as the uh, as far as the Grand Alliance is concerned, because very much it uh, caused the Russians to feel as though um, they were uh, not, um, they they couldn't trust the Americans as allies, that the Americans were actually developing this weapon to be used against them. Um, and that the only way, therefore, to react to this, in a way in which we reacted in the Second World War, with the idea that the, uh, the Germans were developing a nuclear weapon, the only way to actually be, to be safe, was to have your own nuclear weapon as well, which of course they did, and they therefore tested successfully in 1949. It sounds like each side are trying to act defensively on their behalf, whereas the other side views that defensive action as aggressive. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, all of this is my interpretation, okay? This is not the truth, it's my interpretation. When I was growing up, I'm born in 59, so when I'm growing up very much, the interpretation was the Cold War started because of the aggression of the Soviet Union. When I go to university in the late 70s, okay, the interpretation I'm beginning to be fed is it's, oh, it's all the fault of the Americans because of all the things they did. Now, clearly, the truth is somewhere in between, okay? And I think that is, for me, that is my interpretation. My interpretation is that both sides see what the other side was doing was Quite often it was meant to be defensive, but they would see it as aggressive. And they're interconnected. So Truman Doctrine seems very defensive against Soviet aggression. You therefore get Comic Form because the Truman Doctrine seems to be aggressive to the Soviet side. Martial Aid, Comic Con. NATO, eventually Warsaw Pact. The Atomic Bomb, the Atomic Bomb for the Soviet Union. So, so that's how it all seems to hang together. You get this sort of circle and spiral of mistrust. And with that spiral of mistrust, you get to the point that basically the Cold War begins. And when it begins, I personally think it probably, you could say it begins in some way, actually for me, in some ways with the Truman De uh, Doctrine being declared in March 47, that seems to me a statement by the Americans that that's it. We were not, you know, we're not going to actually put up with this anymore. We recognise that the Soviet Union is a hostile power. And we have seen that theme of containment throughout the last 10 episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Other historians will argue maybe it's the militarisation of the Cold War with the formation of NATO in 1949. You pay your money, you take your choice. Fantastic interpretation of the origins, um, really up until 1949. Okay, let's look at the second half now. I suppose the question is, why does then the Cold War develop and get worse? rather than better, between 1949 and 1958. So I suppose from NATO to NASA, NATO to NASA. How does that happen? Well, you know, 
there's when you look at a textbook or you study history, um, you sort of almost assume that something's inevitable, don't you? You think that's the way it was, so therefore it had to be like that. And yeah, I don't actually think it necessarily had to be that the Cold War had to get worse, particularly once you had uh, Stalin, uh, who died in 1953, being replaced by Khrushchev. Now, Khrushchev's a very interesting individual. Um, he's risen to power under Stalin, uh, but quite clearly he saw that there could be and needed to be a different pathway for communism to take and Soviet Union to take um, if it was going to actually um, be meaningful and, um, and, and, and properly in control. It had to have a bit more humanity and a bit more involvement. In a way, he's almost like, a, and I know we'll discuss this, uh, this bloke in, a, in future uh, series, but he's almost like a prototype Gorbachev from the 1980s. And he was faced with Eisenhower, and Eisenhower was also open, despite him being a you know, military leader and, um, a, 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 and a fierce anti-communist, a bit like Reagan, really, uh, in the 1980s as well. Eisenhower was uh, also aware of the increasing threat to the existence of the world of the growing nuclear arsenal. And just as Reagan and Gorbachev in the 1980s, met together, had some personal chemistry, had this commitment to changing things, and therefore brought about effectively the end of the Cold War, well, it could possibly have been that things might have developed in that way for Khrushchev and for Eisenhower. There certainly was this time where there was policy of what was called peaceful coexistence. Um, you know, there's, there's, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, there are uh, you know, clear evidence from that time of cooperation between the, the, the two sides. You've got the Geneva Accords over Vietnam in 54. You've got the settlement, the peaceful settlement of what to do with Vienna and what to do with Austria, um, which would be divided into four as well, just like Germany, but that one was, was resolved peacefully. It wasn't divided on a permanent basis. Um, so, you know, there was a meeting at Geneva in 55 where nothing else was really decided, but there was a lot of goodwill floating around the air and a lot of positive mood music. But unfortunately, it did get worse. And, and, and I would identify, it seems to me, again, three things or three factors that brought that about. The first factor is the fact that in 1949, um, Mao Zedong and the Communist Party of China uh, won the civil war against the, uh, the Guomindang led by Chiang Kai-shek, the nationalists, and took control of China. Now, this to the Americans was an absolutely terrible blow. They, they you know, put a lot of money and effort into uh, ensuring that China remained uh, uh, pro-Western and the fall of China, as they saw it, to communism, and a communism they saw as being controlled by the Soviet Union, was a huge blow. But not only that, but it also effectively globalized the Cold War. Okay, um, and uh, or, or certainly began the process of globalizing the Cold War. And so, therefore, if you look at the 1950s and the United the 1960s, you can see this. You can see not only is there then for tension in uh, over the future of 
what was then known as Formosa, we call today Taiwan, uh, with that being a confrontation between, military confrontation between the USA and China. But we also got to the Korean War going on from 1950 to 1953, whereby you actually literally had the Soviet Union and the Chinese involved in the actual fighting with the South Koreans, backed by the British and particularly by the Americans and the Australians. Um, you then, of course, get the Vietnam War going on, in which the French end up being defeated. Um, and then you get a sort of peace imposed. But underneath, the Americans are increasingly involved in the 1950s. And that will, of course, massively ramp up in the 1960s. So that sense of globalization uh, was reflected, as I said in a previous podcast, by the Americans creating a whole series of alliances in the 1950s, which is meant to sort of hem in the Russians and deal with and contain communism uh, throughout the world. So for example, CETO, Southeast Asia Treaty Organization. So that's one clear factor as to why it gets worse. The second factor, it seems to me, that gets worse or causes this Cold War to get worse is just the growing nuclear arms race. So you go massively beyond just the two sides having, having bombs uh, that can cause a lot of damage with the development of the hydrogen bomb. That makes that particular situation worse. But you know, the reality is, is that huge more numbers, but it's the delivery systems. We go from uh, just planes that can get around uh, to the ICBMs, and then we get to development of um, submarines that can deliver um, uh, SLBMs. Uh, and they, these weapons actually are so terrifying and so seem such a danger to each side that there is just that feeling that you cannot... Um, you can't, you, you can't trust the other side. And if you do, you know, you're going to be open to immediate and total destruction. And of course, that's, uh, that reaches its, um, its, its high point in the 1950s with, uh, the America, with the Russians getting up into space first with Sputnik, which then gets the Americans to then react again and go back to the idea of reaction in the first half of the podcast with the creation of NASA, which is then meant to get the Americans to have a presence in space. It's for military reasons. It's not for just getting to the moon, no matter what Kennedy said it was. Um, so that would be, to me, the second thing. Um, and then the third thing, I think, is the importance of Hungary and the Hungarian uprising and the way in which it was uh, suppressed by the Soviet Union. I don't think that, I mean, in some ways, it, that was quite good in the sense of for stability because it showed that the West accepted that the East uh, Eastern Europe was controlled by the uh, Soviet Union wasn't going to be questioned. There wasn't going to be anything to roll it back. But at the end of the day, it was also to the West. It just seemed to confirm the actual fact, you know what? Khrushchev, for all his big words and all his big gestures, was actually nothing more but really a sort of another version of Stalin and another communist leader who couldn't be trusted. So for all those reasons, you get a worsening, a, a worsening of the Cold War. But you know what? Although it got worse in the 1950s, it was nothing compared to what was going to come up in the 1960s. But that, dear listener or dear viewer, is going to be in series two. So I hope to see you there. Thanks, Fletch. Um, fantastic um, overview, uh, NATO to NASA. Um, loved it. Great interpretation. Um, Thanks for listening. Join us next time, our final episode, episode 12, where we're going to be doing something slightly different. So see you then.